You are listening to another Always Moto production. The Always Moto Podcast with your host, David Hogan. We talk moto events from around the world. All the injuries, all the training ins and outs, the bikes, parts and gear inspections. The results, we interview your favourite riders. It's the Always Moto Podcast. We occasionally have some coarse language and the odd stuff up along the way. If you don't like it or you don't agree with us, turn it off right now. I'd like to remind you that he is not a doctor. That's right, Moto fans. I'm not a doctor, but I am a physiotherapist. And this is episode 97 of the Always Moto podcast, proudly brought to you by Liat Moto Australia. As always, I'm your host, David Hogan, and this is the Always Moto podcast. We are in the depths of the clinic throwing strapping tape anywhere it will stick and as always on the show we'll be going through all things moto but particularly those injuries in our sport because hashtag injuries are a part of moto but so is the recovery as well so that's a good part of all of it that goes on this week's show we're going to look ahead it's round seven of the super motocross world series ah and i said it there world series it's not a world series super motocross you hear it too many times it just gets embedded up there super motocross series the americans like to call things a world championship when it never actually leaves their shores it's heading to arlington texas this week uh and it's the return of the 250 guys from the east coast for their round two they obviously had that one round there at detroit had a week off um had a uh, another week off in terms of the series had a whole week off so the 450s got, got a rest as well um in the east coast and finally back for their second round at arlington so checking in with how that's part of the series is going we're going to run through the emergency department updates um hopefully we've got a bunch of stuff to bring you there there is a few guys obviously with this week off it's given people a chance to recover from some other things but also some guys have used this point as their return from injuries that they've maybe missed the start of the season so we'll run through that list this episode as well we've also got a different interview with for you guys this week uh on the always moto podcast obviously we've been talking to lots of riders about their injuries we've talked to team managers recently about how they manage through their injuries and how their teams are going uh we've talked to a mechanic at different points but this time we've got something different we have got dean phelps from fighting fit physio on the line with us uh and dean he gives us a good interview about his clinic and about his rehab approach and how some of his views obviously line up with some of my own in terms of getting into that early early rehab post any injury, no matter what point of the recovery is going on, uh, whether it's you know surgery, fresh happened on Sunday, you're in the clinic on Monday. Um, he's got just some good views and some good ideas and we just sort of check in with how he's got to that point. We sort of cover a little bit of how I got to that point as well uh, in this interview, just because obviously it was the first time we're talking to Dean. So it was a good chat. So stick around for that. Um, he obviously is working with some of the top riders in Australia as well. He's based on the Gold Coast and so a lot of our Aussie pros are up that way these days and he's working with a few of them at different points. One most notably uh, recently is Aaron Tanty and Aaron's obviously getting himself ready to get back over to the States here very shortly and he's been in that uh, Fighting Fit Physio gym there 
doing all the rehab that he possibly can. So it's been awesome to see some of those updates that Dean and his team have been putting up on their social pages. So you should check out their social channels as well um, to stay up to date with some of those things that they're doing. But yeah, interesting clinic, interesting chat with Dean coming your way later in the show. So something to look forward to there. But another awesome show coming your way this week on the Always Motor podcast brought to you by Liat Motor Australia. And it is brought to you by Liat Motor Australia. They are the ultimate gear and protection solution for riders seeking top-notch safety and style. From head to toe, Liat Moto has you covered with innovative helmets, goggles, body armor, and more. Ride with confidence knowing you're backed by gear designed by riders for riders. If you head over to Liat Moto, Liat.com.au and gear up for your next ride. Now, I've been riding that Liat gear this past weekend. The whole family did. We're out at Armadale um, Motorcycle Club doing a sprint round uh, in our Liat gear and everything was looking beautifully nice on the bikes and functioning perfectly well. So awesome to have Liat Liat on board with us here at the Always Moto podcast. Now, the other thing that we're doing with those uh, at the race on the weekend, I've got the pivot pegs on the Sherco motorcycle, 300 two-stroke from the Sherco Australia guys. Uh, we've got the pivot pegs on the bike finally. Um, still trying to get that video together to show you the install procedure there, which is very simple to be honest. Uh, but the pivot pegs are working awesome. They are super wide. They are pivoting action so that you allow you to move around on the bike better. They give you better contact with your boot soles so that it reduces the wear of your boot soles. Uh, and funnily enough, I was actually talking about that with another guy that was asking me that over the weekend um, whilst he tried on my Liat boot to see if he liked it or not. Um, we were also talking about boot sole wear and how the pivot pegs reduced that significantly for me. I was able to chew through pegs in like, uh, not pegs, chew through the soles with the pegs in like two or three rides previously. But as soon as I got the pivot pegs um, on my bikes many years ago, that reduced and I could actually make a pair of boots last almost a season, which was amazing considering how many boots I used to go through. Um, But nowadays it's a bit different. But the pivot pegs are obviously working, still working on that and saving my boot soles, which is awesome. And if you want to get some for your bike, you can. You just need to head to pivot pegs with a Z. Com and you can check out their fitment ranges and order direct from the site there. Now, the other one we're doing here, competitive edge performance. Now, a bit of a shout out to Damien. He's had a bit of a surgery recently, uh, planned surgery as far as I'm aware, um, and he's out of action for a little bit here, but hopefully everything is well for Damien. But Damien is our um, performance person here uh, linked to the Always Moto podcast. He is the go-to strength and conditioning um, provider for programs, sports nutrition, and on-bike coaching schools for athletes of all levels. He offers in-person sessions and top-notch online programs as well. Now, Always Moto podcast listeners can get a 50% discount off your first month on their training app using the code COMPEDGECOACH, and that's all in capital letters, C-O-M-P-E-D-G-E-C-O-A-C-H. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Damien. Hopefully all is well and hopefully he's back on the recovery ASAP and getting into that rehab, um, which I'm sure he will be very, very soon. Uh, and to Slantboard, guys, Slantboard has offered a 10% discount to Always Motor Podcast listeners. Check that out later in the show. Endurance recovery boots as well, discounts, and you need to be recovered for your training. Um, you need to use these recovery boots. Tech 167 3D printing, maybe you need something cool for your bike. Maybe it's just a funnel that fits straight in. It screws in because it's a printed f- threaded funnel into your oil filler cap. It means no mess. You need to mention Always Motor when you're shopping with Tech 167 and they'll hook you up with a discount as well. As always, we need your show's support direct for the show. We have our Always Moto t-shirts available. They are $25 plus postage and handling. 
Rock one at your next race. Show your show support. Now, maybe uh, you need to email info at alwaysmoto.com and put T-shirt order in the subject line to get that set up and we'll be in touch regarding payments via PayPal. Now, speaking of PayPal and T-shirts, I say this all the time, maybe you don't need a shirt, maybe because you're too sexy for that shirt, uh, which is fine. Whatever your prerogative is, you might not wear T-shirts ever. That's fine. But maybe you want to support the show. You can donate direct via the PayPal account to Always Moto and help us keep bringing this content to you. So please get on there, get in, get in there and give us a donation. It would be very much appreciated. Now, to find all of the supporters of the Always Moto podcast, the discount codes and more, you need to follow the links in the show notes. The codes are in the show notes as well um, and on our bio, on our social pages. Now, we do also have a new supporter this week on board with the podcast and you're going to hear from them later in the show and their reads that we're going to be going through and how maybe you might be able to get something for you or maybe it's for if you're a suspension tuner maybe it's for you you have to wait and see when we hear when you hear that read later in the show i'm not going to give it away just yet but you have to keep your ears open as we get to it at some point here very shortly all right enough for this intro talk let's jump into the show Hey, I'm Bubba Pauly from the MadParts.com Kawasaki Supercross Race Team, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, we're into the show, guys and girls. Welcome in. It is the Always Moto Podcast brought to you by Lee at Moto Australia. Lots happened. There's been a week off in the sport of AMA Super Motocross. I went racing. Uh, they didn't. So what's happened since then? Not much. It seems like the world stopped when the racing hasn't happened on the weekend. There's plenty of um, memes going around from motor, guys like Moto Memes and that, that, you know, we got any more of those Supercross races. Yeah, it seems it seems early to have a gap in, this, in the series already, uh, but it is already you – know, it proves that we need the racing to happen regularly. Obviously, the, the, the competitors and the, the teams need a rest, and that's what they've gotten, but – the last race was Glendale, and it was another Ken Rocks and Suzuki win. I say another. It's only been two since he's got back on that Suzuki and the HAP team over there, the progressive team. But it's another win for Ken Roxon. Um, very dominant fashion, that win. Whole shot to win. Let every lap. Nobody got close. Unfortunately for Aaron Plessinger, he went down early, and he might have been the one to challenge for that uh, you know, that, that win there if he hadn't have gone down, but he did. And obviously Jet got another bad start and wasn't a part of the front-running group, so he wasn't able to bridge that gap. But as we talked about, um, I haven't, like, as much as he got that, you know, mid-pack start, he also got bumped around and jolted back a fair bit further. So as much as I was talking about the previous show, having him run, you know, like a fifth-place start and then being able to see if he can work through and get the win... We haven't seen that still yet. It hasn't happened. So will we see a whole shot this week from him and maybe that trend of the winners leading, you know, whole shotting leading every lap continuing? Because um, that seems to be a common occurrence recently. It's not every time, but it seems to be a very frequent thing that the guy who gets the whole shot tends to go on to win it at the moment. So we'll see if Jet can do that. But for Ken, it's awesome to just see that bike and him gelling as one. Obviously, things that that team are working really nicely for him. He continues to talk about the fact that he hasn't changed much on his setup in a long time, which is obviously a good thing because there's some familiarity with the bike. He's got a comfort. He knows what it's going to do. Um, and it's obviously functioning in the way that he wants it to, which obviously helps his confidence. 
And in turn, he isn't having too many issues in terms of crashes. Yes, he's had a bit of a tumultuous start to the season. Not all of it has been his fault uh, in lots of those cases. So, but he's, he's been, you know, in the large side of things, he hasn't been getting, you know, injuries, bumps and bruises. He's just been riding and returning, you know, returning to the form that Ken Roxon probably deserves um, as much as he's been. He's had a rough go of it ever since that starting of the season of that time with the Honda and obviously that massive arm injury. Things just haven't gone to plan health-wise, injury-wise. There's been lots for Ken Roxon to deal with, but it seems like he's on an upward trend at the moment in terms of his riding results his consistency so hopefully we'll see more from kenny up the front um maybe another whole shot maybe another win but it means that there's now been five winners in six rounds so far jet lawrence remains the only two-time winner in the series for the 450 class so far which is quite surprising that there's only been one um two-time winner in six rounds so far but we are getting to the meat of the series. We are heading to Texas this weekend and Arlington for another standard 20-minute plus one main event. It is on that football field style, of course, uh, and it does have a very similar-looking start corner, first corner, to Detroit where all hell broke loose in that 250 class uh, East Coast opener a few weeks back. So the track's going to be a shorter time, lap time. It's going to break down a lot. And the start's going to play a big role in who gets out front. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. But the meat of the series is coming. Daytona is the following week. And then we're into a new round at Birmingham. Uh, But we're definitely into that grind from there on out for the 450 class. How will it all go? We're going to be on East Coast tracks. We're going to have that softer dirt. We're going to have that ruddier surfaces. Are we going to start to see the jet dominance that might be coming? I don't know, but it seems like that's starting to get there. So long as everybody stays healthy, Jet included, this could be the beginning of where this run commences. Uh, Jet's been vocal about not being comfortable on hard pack slippery surfaces, a.k.a. Glendale. And he prefers, obviously, the more traction, the more technical tracks being the rutted up tracks of, you know, Detroit, like he did well uh, like a indie that's going to be coming up here on the circuit i'm very keen to see him on the 450 at daytona and how that translates into the effect that it has on eli tomac's current win streak and even his win record at daytona eli's obviously got five in a row at daytona i think it's six total wins at daytona making him the most winningest man at daytona and that was all celebrated there the previous year uh, but as we talked about, or as I mentioned in a Twitter poll at the beginning of the season, before the season had commenced, I put out that I felt that this might be the season that Eli didn't get a win in the 450 Supercross class. Now, so far through six rounds, that has proven correct, but obviously there's a long way to go, and we haven't gone past Daytona as yet. Now, we went past Glendale, which was another stomping ground for Eli Tomac, and the Eli inconsistency or Eli lack of pace fit slash fitness or friendliness in his Achilles to get back to where he was, was showing a little bit again in Glendale. He was third for most of that main event. Would he have been fourth if AP hadn't have gone down? Yes. Yes. He probably would have been fourth, but 
Jet managed to run him down late, so that fourth place that he ended up overall might have even been a worse in a fifth if, if Aaron Plessinger hadn't have gone down there early in that main event. Eli just doesn't seem to have that pace. He doesn't seem to have that flexibility on the bike that you were used to seeing from Eli. Eli has a reasonably strong body position on the bike and a, and a you know, not necessarily a rigidness, but like just a, a position that is just firm in terms of how he looks. He looks strong on the bike, but he can move about and has that flexibility of getting around and manipulating the bike through different sections of the track. And that, that beast mode comes out at that time. So far through these opening six rounds, that has not been the case for Eli Tomac. Eli Tomac looks like a vet rider. He looks very rigid. He is in that position that we're familiar with in terms of his body's, you know, in the standing position on the bike. But it, for whatever reason, it doesn't look as strong to me at this point in time. Whether that's because there's not that confidence in the posture to go with it, just to give it that little bit extra pep in the presentation whether that's the overall fitness over the moto and he's trying to conserve more energy at this early point in the season and these early races as they begin to make it so that he can maintain a certain pace across the 20-minute main event. Maybe it's all just comes back to the fact that he is only a few months back on the bike and back into a full, into a full training regime and it would not be the normal level of fitness that Eli is accustomed to that he had had for so long because he hadn't had a major injury and in in saying that if we flash back to that 2015 Eli Tomac on Geico Honda when he had that massive crash at uh, Colorado there Lake Lakewood um, Thunder Valley three different three different names there but Thunder Valley Raceway in the outdoors when he went down the hill cross-rutted destroyed both shoulders and then was out for the rest of that season, had both shoulders operated on. When he came back that following year in 2016, he was not the Eli Tomac of 2015. And at no point through that season did he actually, you know, create a dominance and a force in that series. Uh, Yes, he switched to Monster Energy Kawasaki for that particular year, but he did not have that season. It wasn't a year that he won the outdoor championship. It wasn't a year that he won or even pressed for the Supercross championship. It was just an okay year. And that sort of goes back to these points that I'm making here around his fitness and post-injury where Eli needs that high-level fitness to do beast mode, to be that guy that we know on the motorcycle that can run almost anybody down. Has he got that level of fitness back just yet? I don't think so. And I think that's all just coming off the back of that injury and that recovery. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the injury at present. I'm just saying that that lack of preparation and that lack of consistent effort throughout a whole 12 months and then into the next 12 months and into the next 12 months of season building on season building on season is not there at present. This was the first time in a long time that Eli Tomac has had to sit on the sideline immobilized in a boot, unable to do almost, you know, almost any exercise. I would dare say there was a fair period of time there that he probably didn't do hardly anything except ride the couch, you know, have a little slouch on the couch as our, uh, as our little friends likes to say. 
There's a lot of slouch on the couch right now. Yes, he probably was having that little slouch on the couch in recent times. And that has probably then reduced that fitness level right down to a very, very minimal level. Yes, he's been a high-level, high-performing athlete for years prior, but it doesn't take long for your fitness to turn to absolute shit and have to build from nothing to get back to it. And I just dare say that Eli is just not quite there yet in the overall capacity of his fitness. How long until that gets back? How long's a piece of string? He's obviously building and getting better, but each week that he is racing, it's harder to continue to build a platform for that because you've got to manage the load throughout the week and be prepared for the race to be, you know, peaking for the race day rather than being fatigued coming into the race day. Will this break have changed anything for Eli? Yes, it will have. Of course it will have. He's had more time to test. He's had more time to train in a bulk load. Um, He's had more time to put his body through some rigors that maybe he hasn't done previously and then still recover in time for the race. So I would expect that he is better. Will he be at his previous level? No, I doubt that. I don't see that he's winning this weekend. He might, um, but I don't see that he, based on what he had at Glendale and based on a two-week period of time to be ready for the next race, that that's going to change massively in terms of his speed and like what I talked about, that strength position on the bike and his just ability to manipulate the bike and move about on the bike. If you watch him and you watch carefully these past round at Glendale, even that moto he won at Anaheim too in the Triple Crown, if you compare those versus what he was prior, especially there was a deep, the Detroit round when he won the title on the Yamaha, um, the previous, not last year, the year before. If you watch him at that race and then watch these two races, they are not the same, Eli. The flexibility, the commitment, the position of the body that he has throughout the moto in that Detroit Supercross is unreal. The way he's smashing berms and just jumping into a berm and cornering it, he's not doing that at present. That's beast mode. Eli doesn't have beast mode just yet. Will he get it? Let's hope so, because it'll make the series a hell of a lot more interesting. But at this stage, it's not there, and I'm looking pretty good to be claiming right on the uh, no win for Eli Tomac this season. It could all change at any weekend, and Daytona is a big chance for that because there's going to be a confident feeling with Eli. But verse that with Jet Lawrence at Daytona, a long lap time, a rutted track, a soft track. Is that going to be... Is Jet going to become the new Eli at Daytona over the next few years? We'll have to wait and see on that one. All right, let's move along a little bit. Jason Anderson had a good night at Glendale. Um, Obviously rode quietly in second position for most of that moto um, and managed to keep Kenny honest for most of it. Yes, he had four-second gap at the end of that, but Jason Anderson rode really well. Um, But I suspect of of the five winners so far this season, Jason Anderson's the most likely to get the next win. Eli Tomac would be behind Jason for me. The only other person that I see getting a potential chance for a win in the rest of this season would be someone like Justin Barsha late in the season if there was the right conditions in terms of maybe it was a muddier track um, and he has finally got the bike sorted out. But at the moment, while he's still working on testing and being comfortable on that gas gas in 2024, that's not likely. So we're down to Jason Anderson and probably Eli Tomac is the only two guys that could potentially add to this winner's list in 2024, which would suit that narrative that we usually get around four to five winners per season. We've got our five in six rounds already. 
Now it's a case of who's going to be able to establish themselves and sustain that front running pace without injury, without bike issue, without complication and chase down that title chase down that title obviously that's what chase did last year uh, but we've got a few key players in the season uh, for a pretty good finish to this you know we're going to have a run of like 10 11 events here to finish out the season it's going to be uh, pretty epic to see how this plays out because at the moment it's very evenly poised there will be separation coming and a gap a group is going to gap themselves at the top who will it be and by how far and how many don't know, but I suspect that there'll be one or two, potentially three, and I'm thinking it's going to be Jet Lawrence, Cooper Webb, and Chase Sexton that are going to be that top, really top level guys that separate themselves here in the next three to four rounds, and we'll start to see some consistency in the results columns. Will Eli be part of that? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, will Jason Anderson, will Ken Roxon be a part of it? We'll have to wait and see, but it's going to be who's going to be able to be consistently top three from here on out that's going to be you know down to the nitty-gritty, as they say, at the championship time. So we'll see how that plays out from here. All right, and, and obviously, too, there's one key factor in all of this that could change any of it, and that, as we say, injuries are a part of Moto. It's the injury aspect because so far the field in the 450 class is rather healthy, which is a fantastic thing. But it's about this point in the season that we started last year to begin to lose some of those topper, topper, higher level guys from the championship due to injury. How will that play out this year in 2024? We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, every round is a potential chance for these guys to, to unfortunately get injured. So that's part of the management of a championship in my eyes. And it's a massive part of it because a lot of these championships – People could have won these championships, but they weren't able to stay healthy. So have to see how that all plays out. But at this stage, on the evidence that we have so far, that's my feelings on the 450 class moving ahead to Arlington. All right, the 250 class, it's in the West Coast side of things. Obviously, we had the Glendale round there. Uh, it's a toss-up in that series. Which vet will break the trend and not throw it away? Jordan Smith, uh, RJ Hampshire. Both of them have that trend of throwing away these things at some point. So far, they've both tried to a little bit. Jordan obviously jumping into the back of Levi when Levi rolled that section because of the lights, flags, whatever, as much as he didn't need to, supposedly. Uh, Jordan wasn't reading the play at hand and obviously made a mistake and went into the back of Levi. But... Though that accompanied with RJ's toss away on the last lap in one of the motos earlier in the season that lost him that third position. They've tried little bits to throw this away and that's what's given Mr. Consistent so far in the 250 West, Levi Kitchen, the red plate. But who's going to walk away with this thing over the long haul of the season? Will it be the consistent Levi Kitchen? Does he have the pace to actually put a win together in a 20-minute Plus, oh, 20 minute, a 15 minute plus one for the 250 side of things because he hasn't done that yet. And that will be a big key into him making um, big headway into that championship. Or will Levi, uh, will um, Jordan or will RJ finally break that trend? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, but obviously, those guys have a big break here for the next few weeks. The next round isn't until Seattle. And I, if I remember correctly, I don't have this one right in front of me right now, but I believe there's not a West-East 
showdown f- until later in the season. So those showdowns are going to come up, and there's only two of them, I believe. Um, so they're not going to come up till later in the season. So they're not going to be back, the West Coast guys, until Seattle, which is about a month and a bit away. So they're about a five- to six-week break that they are on now. So a lot of outdoor testing. So there's, a l- again, like we talked about just a second ago with the 450 class, injuries are a factor that could c- pop up here. But there is a lot of riding to be done between now and their next race in terms of outdoor prep um, and the risk that they have of switching back and forth from both, you know, different setups on the bikes to the different race formats, track formats. There's a potential here for anything. So as much as we, this is what we have now, by the time the series kicks back in in four or five weeks' time, who knows what it looks like when they come to the track, when they come to the track. It was nice to see Joe Shimoda finally put the uh, HRC Honda up onto the podium in Glendale. As much as he's had a terrible season, he's obviously working hard and trying to break that pattern and he's finally maybe got just that little bit of confidence in what's been going on and maybe we'll see more from him in the remaining Supercross rounds. But maybe, just maybe, like we're talking about with this break coming up for the 250 West and they're obviously going to be doing outdoor testing, Maybe they just put all of their focus into being 100% ready for this outdoor championship and maybe they don't even do much Supercross stuff in the meantime. Maybe maybe they put their efforts into being you know ready to go for round one, which would be a big difference in Joe's championship hunts in previous years. Joe's always been a slow starter in these championships. Will he actually get a better commencement to an outdoor championship this year? Maybe that's how they should focus this next five to six weeks and just focus into the outdoors and maybe only go back to Supercross a day or two before the next race. And even then the weeks following that, continue to do more outdoor prep than Supercross prep because he's probably, probably, very unlikely going to get the championship unless there's injuries to the top three guys, top four, five guys. Um at this stage because he's had such a bad start to the season. So the better play might be to put all his focus into the outdoors at this early point and just be 150,000% ready for the start, the first gate gate drop in the outdoors because that would be a big change in his overall season look if that was the case because he's obviously very good at the end of the series and comes on very, very strong. But if he can start that way as well, that would be a game changer and he would definitely be putting it to guys like Deegan, Faulkner, etc. at that point if everything for those guys goes well too to get to the outdoors yet because obviously that's that's a fair way away just yet. Where, you know, A lot can happen in the meantime. All right. Uh, the, after our chat last week too, I've got to bring this up. Last week, well, last week, last show, we had Matt Bell from the HBI Racing um, team on and he, in our interview with him, he mentioned how good his engine package was that he felt it was – they hit on something really good. And God damn it, was he right. Um, he His bike, the, the bike that the team has put together for Slade Varola in that West Coast 250, um, two hole shots, the, the, the Heat and the LCQ, he hole shot at that thing at Glendale down that massive long start straight. Unfortunately, wasn't able to get a third when they had to restart the LCQ because of the red flag situations that seemed to happen a lot across the night there. Um, there was multiple red flags in Glendale, but he wasn't able to get the third start and make the main. But 
Yeah, damn, that bike was quick on the other two starts. So nice work to the HBI racing team there. And again, thanks to Matt Bell for coming on the show the previous episode. But yes, he was right. And I did say to him, I think I'm going to have to come over and test ride that thing. And that would be an awesome opportunity if we make that happen at some point in maybe in the outdoors or something. We'll see how it all works out. All right, East Coast 250, we're coming back. Obviously, it's round two. They've had their first round in Detroit. Everyone got smashed to pieces. McAdoo had his sack out. Um, can't go without mentioning that, unfortunately. It's just sort of permanently burnt in my brain now. Um, but they've had a you know two-week break, a two-race weekend break because they had the West Coast guys do a round and then they had a week off. So they had an interesting weirdo start to their series. They've had one round and a gap, and then they're back into round two now at Arlington. The track, obviously, we mentioned basically the same design in terms of uh, the Detroit start area. There is a little variances in it, but it's still a 90 into that first corner. So will there be the same sort of carnage? We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, the 250 guys are usually a bit more eager to go off early in these things, and maybe they push too hard into it. But we'll see how that plays out. But the guys that are going to have to make a bit of a bounce back, obviously, Sakadoo, sorry, McAdoo, um, and Deegan, those two guys were obviously down in that first race, didn't get all the points that they probably expected to. There is video of Deegan this week really ripping on the star racing test track um, and looking, you know, looking himself. So obviously that time off for him has been well put to use to come back from that injury that he mentioned that wasn't anything major, um, but we believe it probably was. So, yeah, he's looking a lot better and ready to go. And I'm super-duper keen to see Faulkner and Deegan go at it in a 15-plus one and to see whether, you know, Anstey and McAdoo can actually run with those two and make it a big four dog, you know, big four, the big dogs making it four at the front. That would be really cool. I have to see how that all plays out. Um, but, yeah, this will be a bit of a tester to see where everybody's at. Hopefully we can get a clean first corner. And really to see what speed each of these guys has. And if Faulkner's first race, whole shot and win, you know, if it is truly the back to, you know, Austin Faulkner levels. And we'll see how that plays out. But Arlington this week, obviously, uh, in Texas, big military present down there. They actually moved it from San Diego previous years. This year, the military appreciation round is this week at Arlington. So I'm looking forward to see some of these, you know, military-inspired gear kits and bike kit combos and see what they all look like. Not all of them are good. I'll say that as much as I, as I, as I should. I lo- obviously love the, the military aspect of it and that they're supporting it. And if you've ever been to an American Supercross, they are massive in supporting their military, which is a wonderful thing. They do a much better job of that than we do in Australia. And it sort of makes you a bit dis- disheartened by the fact that we don't do as much as they do. But they, that's one thing they do really well is, is look after their, their um, you know, and look up to and respect their military service men and women. Um, but yeah, so looking forward to these kits. But yeah, not all of them are good kits. Some of them are a bit average. But it does just change the bikes up and the look up and not and you know keep it from being stale in the pits. So it's a good thing. Obviously, a lot of these kits get auctioned off. Um, they go to St. Jude Charity and stuff like that. So it's well worth cause, and I'm glad that the teams try to support it. I wish all of them would do a better job at supporting it because um, not all of them do. And for whatever reason, there might be contractual arrangements and, you know, the fact that, you know, an orange bike's got to stay orange for the race. That might be part of the deal. But 
I just, I just hope that the ones that do do it, do it well and that they all look fantastic. And I know that there's been like McAdoo went and did some, um, some pre-recordings for, for these things, for intros and whatnot from the military. He was on an aircraft carrier, I believe. It was the images that I saw. Um, so hopefully that sort of stuff will come across on the broadcast and be done well because it should be done and supported well by the sport. And just, you know, like we said, respecting the military and the guys and girls that are serving. Um, we appreciate that. And, yeah, hopefully it, it, hopefully it goes off well in Arlington this week. All right, a bit of personal stuff. Um, moving on from the AMA normal talk here. Um, Bit of personal talk this week. We've got, we're going to just check in on some stuff that I've been up to over the last few weeks. Obviously, we've obviously for those that have been listening um, to to my story a little bit in the in, you know, shows over the last what is it nearly well it's twenty something months that since my injury in Hatar twenty twenty two yeah twenty twenty two I had to remember the year there twenty twenty two where I smashed myself to pieces I've obviously been out of action for a long time working on myself my recovery my rehab my training um, I was going to try and race some events at the end of last year I was going to try and do some enduro cross events but they unfortunately all got cancelled due to lack of entries so didn't get anything done last year and I finally managed to get myself entered and the family entered into a, a club event on the weekend at Armadale Motorcycle Club. Now, it's a couple of hours drive for me, but it was a sprint series event. So I like those format, um, you know, the off-road sprint. Got ourselves out there. My two kids raced, my wife raced, I raced. So four people heading to the track, all dressed up in our lead gear. Um, I had the Sherco 300 two-stroke, the Sherco Australia bike prepped up ready to go um, we're still working on a few things with that actually in terms of getting it right where i want it because i haven't raced it yet and i've obviously when i found out on the week what i found out on the weekend racing it is that i've got a bit more stuff to do to it just to get it a bit more crisp a bit more comfortable so as much as it's done really well i realized that racing really highlights some of those things that you don't necessarily notice because the intensity just goes up and as much as i've been trying to push myself on my own tracks, I pushed myself even more when I when that flag dropped the first time round, and and the red mist descended uh, as soon as I caught dust of the first guy that was out in front of me. So yeah, big things that I've, I've got to work on a couple of things with the with the Sherco, uh, but I'm I'm loving the bike. Um, it is an is an awesome piece of machinery. It is a big change for me from the KDM 300 that had a PDS no link setup. Uh, there is a lot of changes that I've been working through and just, you know, getting parts and stuff. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. I've been saying this for a while now. We're going to do a Sherco dedicated podcast on the bike, but haven't got around to it yet. But after the weekend, uh, we're going to get to it very soon. I'm going to make make an effort to get that out here in the next few weeks. So watch out for that one. It'll be interesting to hear about the things that I've talked, that I've run into with the Sherco and how we fixed them and whatnot. So it was a good thing. But yes, first race back for me in 20 months. Um, we ended up doing sprints. Now the club there at Armadale use, have used this property quite often. They've made some little track changes for this year. I quite enjoyed the track. It was a fast track, um, not super comfortable on a fast track usually, and particularly after my injuries from Hadar. But uh, it was it was it was a good day, uh, well organised. I liked the fact that they ran it in classes, not just from an overall time perspective, because you really got to see who was in front of you and who was behind you in terms of the your own class positions, which was nice. Also, gave me a chance to really see my kids, help my kids go up to the line and get them through. My daughter ran in the sixty five. 
senior class and they had a separate girls component to that which was awesome my little man was on his gas gas 50 um my daughter runs a jr80 now for anybody who doesn't know what the jr is it's the old the old ds80 from back in the day but it's basically that the best bike for for my daughter at this point because we wanted her to have to learn the clutch and you know the foot brake and all the normal positionings of the gears and stuff without having the the firepower of a 65 or an 80 85 um in her development point because she's a little bit timid on some of these things but she's getting a lot better and a lot more confidence in it uh, which is awesome to see so she rides that jr the suzuki jr jr80 um it's been a perfect bike for her and she's just starting to do some things on it that really make me proud of the fact that she's finally maybe listening to me not not completely but just a little bit on some things about her clutch use and whatnot so that's that's good but yeah the gas gas 50 for the little man that thing's a little punchy rocket takes a lot of effort to get that thing um keep it maintained throughout the week you know for the riding time that goes into it there's a lot of maintenance effort that goes into it as well so um, i'm sure any of the 50 dads out there will know what i'm talking about if you've ever owned one of those as well um, but the wife had the gas gas 350 um, out and about um, that thing's a rocket ship that we've now turned it into um, and she was enjoying herself now the part that i really liked to see over the weekend normally when we go to these events and my, ra- my, my wife is racing you know she's maybe one of two or three you know the class for the ladies is always small um, but this time at this event, they had 10 women in there entered in this event um, in the senior side of things. And they also had a heap of girls in across all of the junior classes, which was really awesome to see that there's that many women racing at these local club events. So well done to Armadale for supporting them. And and we didn't realize at the time, but the, the like I said, my daughter was in the um, a girls 65 class we didn't realize it was they'd split that at that point but she actually managed to run third in that class which was a, a real big confidence booster for her and um, just nice that the club is recognizing the girls separately at that point as well so to try and keep them involved and give them their own class it's a it's a very nice thing that they're doing there but yeah the women overall at the event was awesome to see and i really appreciate the fact that they're out there giving it a go um, and my wife was loving the fact that she had some competition for a change, which was awesome as well because she's, you know, it's not the same when you're out there riding around by yourself, um, you know, in a class sort of with two people and, the, you know, one's way better than the other. So it's not not always great, but this was an awesome le- level of comp- competition across the 10 women. Um, so they're all within, you know, a tight space, which was great to see. Now, wife got second in that class. Little man was not, um, I don't know where he got. I haven't seen the final results for his class as such, but little man was out there learning. He's only fresh onto that gas, gas 50. He's still a short ass and can barely touch the ground. So he's just learning on that one. For myself, I was in the over 35s class, managed to pull the win in that one, which was kind of cool for myself to to come back to racing and and you know, put myself in that position. It's a bit of a head fuck to get out there and do that at that point for me. And the wife will tell you that I was in my head the whole morning until we did that first lap. But that first lap was what got me back in the swing straight away because I screwed the first quarter of that lap. I was all over the place, track. I was inside the bike, not on top of the bike. I was running wrong lines. I was, you know, just not flowing. But even despite that, I managed to catch dust of the guy in front of me. And as soon as I did, 
something just clicked and I just went back into normal mode. I went back into that normal race mode. My mindset shifted back to where I was prior to that Hadar crash and we reeled him in and then I reeled in another and I got another. So I managed to get three guys on the first loop because obviously they hadn't seated the, the, the uh, class out very well and I'd never done one of these events so I was put at the back and I was quite happy to do so um, because of because of my previous injuries and stuff but yeah that first lap I got straight back into it ran the fastest lap time for the group on that first lap so let out the second time second time I missed a cup I overshot a couple of corners I was a, I, I, <laughs> I went from being cautious to overzealous it was amazing how quickly the mind shifted so yeah I lost I lost like two seconds to I got second overall on that lap uh, in the class, uh, but then managed to pull it all out on the last one. Now, I haven't seen the results still because I haven't put up the final lap times, but um, yeah, I got the overall win uh, on the podium for that one. So that was kind of cool. Nice to come back and be a part of it like that. Um, and, you know, still still know that I've got it. So that was a good thing. But it driven, built the fire for next time to, um, you know, do better again. But yeah, so it was awesome. Now, we've got to thank a few people because obviously, one, we had the Sherco out there. We had the pivot pegs on it. Um, we had the Leard gear going every which way, which was awesome. The, the, the family looks cool in all one kit. Um, we're not in the same colors, but we're all in the same brands, which is a kind of a nice, just consistent thing. You know, we're all pulling the helmets out of the Leard bags. You know, it's just nice. Leard supported us really well this year with the podcast and with some gear. Um, so it's really awesome to have them on board in 2024. Um, but we also had some helpers come out. So um, we had a bunch of people from um, my wife's work um, come out and support us, which was awesome. Um, and then a few of the customers from there who are riders. Um, my wife's an apprentice mechanic at the moment. Um, so a few of the customers there, they're all riders. They came and did it as well. And a few of the women were from that like in the class, we're from that as well. So they also helped us pack up at the end of the day. We obviously had four bikes to put away in a, in a three-bike trailer. Don't ask me how I fit it, but I do. Um, and, yeah, we managed that. They were helping us pack up because it managed to start raining on us right as we are finishing that last lap. So interesting time there. But, yeah, we appreciate it. We wouldn't have been able to <clears> – <throat> excuse me. We wouldn't have been able to do that without their support across the weekend. So I appreciate your help there, Clive and Dino particularly, um, for coming across and giving us a hand. All right. Um, going to have a quick double back on to the championship picks. I, I should have done this before. We did that personal bit there, but we'll get this now. Um, just a reminder, I picked Jet for the championship in the 450 class, RJ in the West Coast, and for the East Coast, we popped down Faulkner, but I got a big asterisk next to that as long as he could stay healthy. So... It's got to be finally his time. So, so far, we're looking okay on all of those picks. We'll see how it all plays out from here. All right, we're going to bring in next on the show, we're going to bring in the contractor. Benny, how are we doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Busy as shit. It's a crazy week, couple of weeks for me with a day job with too many people on annual leave. I'm going to shoot the HR person, but we're all right. Um, you sound busy as well, mate. Yeah, I've been pretty busy at work, which is good. Makes the days go quicker. So, uh, yeah, can't complain. Yeah, definitely. Well, fantasy, mate. Um, it's that time. It's the Always Moto Fantasy Talk. Um, we've got our bootleg league. We've got our Rocky Mountain League. Obviously, thanks to Coastal Motorcycle Centre and Helltech Australia for the ongoing support with that. Um, we, we talked about this last time. I'd missed a couple of rounds in 
the tipping from both leagues because of just shit timing and shit signal on the days and where I was at the time. Um, I'm I'm catching up to you, mate. You are. Uh, you're not that far behind. Uh, I think you were even in front of me at one stage and I overtook you and now you're catching back up. So uh, it's definitely not going great on my part. No, you, you must like swing for the fences most weeks because you're – Tips in the bootleg league, your scores, I should say, in the bootleg league, aren't exactly anything to be proud of. No, they're not. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I've had, I, I, I've chosen safe for a few weeks in a row, and it's just, I've just been really unlucky. Like I think we talked about uh, the last, uh, the last pod we did. Um, like the first week I picked Hunter and someone else, uh, yeah, Nick, Phil, Nicoletti and Hunter and I got zero. Like they're two, I mean, you could say Hunter's a bit, you know, cautious, but to me, two sort of safe picks that didn't work out. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I may have only had one week where I got all eight in and even then I think they DNF'd. So I've just been, yeah, really unlucky. Well, while we're on it, let's jump into those tips from last round for us that we can see because I'm, I'm not stoked on one particular one and it seems to be a recurring theme for myself um, when I've picked him lately. Um, but, yeah, let's jump into those tips. So I in the 450 class at Glendale – I had Jet Lawrence, I had Malcolm Stewart, Dean Wilson, and Cade Clayson. And F me if I know what Cade is thinking, but twice he's tried to go around the outside of somebody in an LCQ, and twice he's got completely effed. No, sorry, the first time he the first time was on the outside. The guy on the outside got him, didn't he? But the second one at, at Glendale with Starling, holy shit. <laughs> Well, I think the first one, he was just trying to implement what he learnt in the hills the week before, uh, during the week, because he was he did a front flip up in the hills off the bike, and then he did a front flip off the bike after the finish line. So uh, I think we were just still practicing that. But then, yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, what the thinking was for the move around the outside of Starling. Yeah, you got to know. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. You got to know in an LCQ if you're on the outside of a berm and there's a guy on the inside. You're going to see the top of it, if not the tough blocks and the downside on the backside. So, yeah, that was a bad idea. But you, he has he's had so much more pace than everybody else in those LCQs lately and just can't get the job done. It's insane. He should have qualified for pretty much all of these main events, and he hasn't. So, yeah, I left points on the table there. What was your team in the 450 class, mate, last week at Glendale? Um, so when we talked about, when you just talked about swinging for the fences before, uh, that I did this time, um, I hadn't really done it and I tried to stay away from, you know, picking a bit silly, but I think if you go back to, uh, what episode are we up to now? 90 something. Mm. Uh, I think if you go back to probably episode 40 or somewhere around that, I told you that I was never going to pick Jerry Robin again. Oh. And, um, <laughs> here, here we are 50 cool, episodes mate. later. <laughs> yes. Here we are 50 episodes later picking the same person, uh, cause he looked tasty at a 16 and a uh, big fat zero for that. So I don't think he's uh, even got close to qualifying this year. Why did you go there? Well, he he got close. Uh, I think the week before that was when he he and Freddie Noren uh, went ham in the whoops and both nearly came off. Um, 
So he nearly made it the week before, and I thought maybe he might just tame it down a bit. And uh, he was, you know, looking pretty good apart from that little excursion. And I thought I'll just, you know, risk it. I've got to make some points up, and yeah, it didn't it didn't pay off. So uh, it is what it is. But from now on, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I know I said that last time, but I'm I'm done with him. He's officially done, eh? So yeah, all right. Yeah, so, yeah. So who else was on the team? <laughs> um, so I had Kenny. Uh, which was nice. That worked out well. Uh, Justin Cooper, who uh, got me 26 points, and then Jerry for zero, and Josh Hill got me zero points as well. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Well, yeah, yeah. Look, we, we sort of were similar in terms of points for the, the All-Star and one of your other picks, but then, yeah, obviously two not in the main. That doesn't help you. Um, 250 class. While you're at it, who was in your 250 team and why did they burn you? Uh, so I had Levi Kitchen, uh, 25 points. That was perfect. Couldn't ask for more than that. Uh, Ryder D was looking really good, uh, but then he fell off and didn't finish the race. Uh, and then I had Talon Hawkins, who got me 36 points, and TJ Albright, who got me 34. So... Uh, the 250s weren't really that bad. It was just that Ryder D crash that uh, dinted that score a little bit. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing considering he was okay, you know, pretty pretty quickly from from that little t- um, crash that he had there. But he still managed to take the uh, medic cab right out of there. So anyway, yeah, Ryder's okay, but yeah, bad bad points situation for you in the fantasy aspects. So I took. Um, I, I, this is where I went a bit risky because I was like, oh, he's bound to finally get a decent result. And lucky for me, he did. Joshua Motor, I picked him. I wasn't sure that, that was going to be a reasonable pick, but he ended up getting me max points, which was good. Had Carson Mumford, had Phil Nicoletti and Hunter Yoda. They weren't bad, really. Like Mumford was 26, probably the worst of the bunch. But Nicoletti was 34 and Yoda was 30. So okay points, really, in the in the scheme of it. But yeah, not... Not smashing an overall um, massive score total for me at any point so far. No, I think with that, you know, if if Cade gets in, there's some, you know, there's some decent points there, and uh, you know, no FFLs, which is smart. So um, yeah, just really that Cade that let you down. Otherwise, all in all, it would have been a pretty good weekend. Yeah, and that you mentioned the FFLs, like. I've got no effing idea who's going to hole shot at the moment, eh? Like, it's no no consistency in it. The fact that, like, say, Jet is really up and down with his starts too doesn't help that. And Kenny's been similar. He's been good, but he's also been bad um, for the 450. And the 250, God, I, I don't know. Like, I really have no consistency on what's looking at, at those guys. So, yeah, I'm staying well away from the FFLs at this point. I don't know about you, but it's not enticing me to pick them. Uh, I have been picking them, and I think that's just, you know, a little bit of a gamble each week. Uh, And I think it's only paid off maybe once or twice, and that's with Jet. I think he's the only one that's got me those points. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, people can win the actual league itself without using them. They can win with them. So it's just, you know, it just depends how you want to play your game. Mm, True. All right. Well, let's. Um, that's the bootleg league. Thanks again to Lockie for um, keeping it up and running and and working each week. It's it's going pretty well, mate. Um, so nice work on that. It's continuing to 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 smoothly keep us occupied with the fantasy side of things. 
Let's have a look at the uh, Rocky Mountain League at the moment and just check in on that because it's actually actually sorry I forgot the overall on the on the bootleg league I should go back to that hold on a second our overall in the bootleg league Dobson 110 is killing us at this point Benny um, 14 29 points is he's on got a decent 110 point gap over second who's Jonesy 79 uh, and then even you know decent gap back from there of 50 odd points back to Dillaway in third so you know, Dobson's looking pretty solid at this point, but it is early days. Um, but, you know, you're sensationally down the leaderboard in, like, fourth last, and I'm currently second last. So not much for us to write home about. Well, at least you've got uh, two rounds that have complete zeros, whereas uh, I don't. have got an excuse is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you've got an excuse, um, and I don't. But, yeah, I don't even have four digits yet, so... Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a long way from uh, <laughs> from winning this thing. Yeah, look, we'll stay in it. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, Rocky Mountain side of things. Uh, let me get that back over here. Um, it's a different turn up. There's different people at the top of this one, which is good to see. It's not the same guys winning both leagues. Um, 325 Motorsports. Matt is out in front in that Rocky Mountain League with a decent gap, eh? Like, considering the points are obviously very different, we're only picking five Five riders in a wild card in Rocky Mountain. Matt's, Matt's got out in front by a good 20, 26 points. So he's doing rather well. And um, our man Aaron234, who's our full noise associate, um, in second place. And Ben Langerford in third. Now, Benny, I have no idea how they're getting those points because we're not doing that well in that one either. We're, we're pretty far back. Yeah, well, if if you remember back, I think it was the last pot as well. There was only nine points covering the top four, I think, or the top three, and then it might have been 15 for the fourth person. But, uh, yeah, considering I scored five one round um, and I'm nearly 100 points behind, it's not going well here either. No, we are way down. And, again, I think – I actually think I missed – like I've, I missed at least two, but I think I missed three with this one. Because I just don't, for some reason, Rocky Mountain fantasies doesn't cross my mind until it, you know, till it's massively too late. Um, but I have managed to tip that one this week already as a preemptive strike, so I've got something on there. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, the the points in this one just confuse me. I'm playing it because we're playing we're playing it as a group, but it's not my favourite thing in the world. Yeah, the the good thing about this one is if you do forget to pick. The people you picked the week before roll over. I think over. that's been removed because when I came into this, when I came into it after missing, like not tipping around, there was no picks in there. So I don't think I've got anything for those rounds. I don't think that's actually well, true this year. Well, I was just going through your scores now and you've scored every round. Have I? Okay, just so they are staying because yes. it's just not showing up on my end because it's they're not you know how like normally they'd still be sitting there, the name would be in the in the in the selection box. Well when I've come back in it's just got make your selection or whatever it says in that box. So I assumed that I was getting nothing and they changed the changed the program in twenty twenty four, but maybe they haven't. Maybe they are just sitting there in the background somewhere. Yeah, no, if, if you click on your name, you can see, um, you can go into each round and you can see how many points you got. So uh, it does cover you that way. I guess it's like a full-time mulligan instead of the uh, three that we used to get on pulp. But, um, yeah, it's just so up and down this year, you know, 
choose you know you can choose the top people and they can get lapped or uh, whatever else like we've seen so it's just yeah, it's a lot harder game to uh, do well at but yeah the top yeah you know, the top four are doing really well yeah definitely and look it's awesome to have all these players in the groups we we are trying to get obviously now that we've got this bootleg league going for the supercross side of things um, we are trying to get some more people to join in for the outdoors and then obviously the playoff rounds as well. Um, Lachlan will be able to keep that going for those things. So if you're listening and you're not part of the league already, um, you can join it. You obviously won't be doing fantastic in terms of the Supercross points, but you'll be available for it and ready to go set up for outdoors and stuff. So jump in, start learning it, um, send us a DM, join the Always Moto Fantasy League group chat that we've got going on Instagram, send me a DM, we can get you in there. Um, but it's a bit of fun, a um, bit of shit talk obviously here with Benny and myself um, and, you know, in the group chat as well. But, um, yeah, get a part of it. Isn't that right, Benny? Yeah, that's right. And um, just, well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to Lachlan on uh, his new yes, baby actually, that arrived <laughs> last last weekend. So if the uh, if the handicaps and stuff are a little slow to get updated this week, just uh, don't get too angry at Lachlan <laughs> in a group chat. <laughs> give him give him a little uh, little space. He's probably got his hands full <laughs> with uh, you know shit nappies and bottles or whatever you know picking up after helping out the wife who's probably not moving around as fast as she was the week before. So, yeah, um, congratulations on the addition to the family. I forgot that part of it. Thank you for reminding me. Um, we did comment on his face, on his page, on his um, post about it, so that was all right. So, Yeah, so, uh, yeah, just, just keep that in mind. But, yeah, good luck to everyone this weekend and uh, we'll see who comes out on top next week. We will do. We'll recap then. All right, Benny, let's take a break on the Always Motor podcast. We'll be back with more. Hey, guys and girls, I'm Gage Linville, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back on the Always Moto Podcast, brought to you by Late Moto Australia. Let's get into the emergency department this week, heading to Arlington. There's a few updates that have come out today. I've been chasing them down uh, for the last couple of days to try and get things brought up for this episode. So check it out. We've got some good information here. The emergency department. All the injuries, all the gory details, and when they'll be back on track. It's the list you really don't want to be on. As always, you never want to be on the emergency department list, but these guys keep getting on it and on it and on it and on it, etc., etc., etc. Let's get into it. So the things to note to start with. Interestingly, reading the Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki press release this week in the lead up to Arlington, obviously talking about Faulkner, Hamika and Makadu Sakadu um, about their prep for the weekend and they're all sounding really good. There was an interesting comment from Ian Southwell, the team manager there around the riders, but he actually mentioned Max Foland, which was interesting because there has been very minimal talk around Max's injuries since he had that issue there um, very early in the West Coast season. Now, the comment that was made, and I'm, and I'm quoting it from the press release, Max is starting more intense physical therapy and they are looking forward to, ha- forward to him being back on the bike soon. That's it. That's the most information we have on Max Voland at this point. No confirmation of what the injury is, whether he had to have surgery, whether he broke a bone, um, what's going on at all, just that he's starting some more intense physiotherapy. Now... What does that mean? 
<laughs> I'm a physio and I don't even know what that means. That's ridiculous. Uh, intense. Maybe he's just going more often than he was. Maybe he wasn't allowed to do certain things because of a surgery. This is, this is a difficult thing to answer. This is lack of information. So continuation, we've talked about this before. The Kawasaki press releases are terrible. They give away nothing. And this is just a continuation of it. It's like they almost almost felt that they had to mention him because they'd forgotten him in the last you know six press releases that they put out or whatever it is. Anyway, so still no clear information on what Max Volan has done to himself or when he'll be back. At this stage, we're guessing. All right, other things to note. Lux Turner of Bar X Suzuki team has been MIA since the start of the season. Uh, he signed on with them, but then unfortunately got an injury or a reported injury. We don't have details on him either. Um, but he has been seen to be back on the bike um, as per his social updates. One would expect that by the time the next West Coast rolls round rolls around for Supercross in Seattle that he might be on the line, but we'll try and check in more with that Barex team. We had some communication with them, but as soon as we brought up for some information about the injuries to their riders, crickets, fucking crickets. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll come back on that one when we get some more inf- intel. Addison Emery and Bra- Brandon Spangle had a bit of an issue in the LCQ at Glendale. Um, Brandon managed to land on Addison in the rhythm section along that long rhythm lane. Both guys um, were not great at the day, um, day but uh, A-OK now, just bruises, cuts, grazes, all that sort of good stuff when a tyre hits you in the back or wherever it hit him. Um, but so in terms of it, Brandon's obviously um, 250 lights, West Coast, so he'll be back in action when that is coming back around in Seattle. He's already riding the bike. Addison, I've checked in with him. Obviously, he's been on the show before. We keep in communication with Addison a little bit. He has indicated that he's planning to ride a 450 this week in Arlington, so everything must be A-OK for Addison. Nate Thrasher is obviously on concussion protocol following his crash in Glendale in the heat race there, but we expect that he would be fine by the time the, co- the series resumes in Seattle as well. Given it's five to six weeks away, that should be plenty of time. But on that interesting scenario for Jeremy Martin, the Club MX team has popped out an update this week, today, um, around Jeremy Martin and Jet Reynolds. We'll get to Jet in a second. Uh, but Jeremy Martin obviously had that big concussion in Detroit, had the week off. Uh, the the West Coast ran and a week off to recover. So he had about three weeks. He's not ready. He has been on the bike, but he's not ready to race this weekend. So the for Club MX, he is out. Um, now, so that's a, we're into the out from injuries list now at the moment. Um, while we're there with the Club MX guys, Jet Reynolds had that AC joint injury in qualifying for Detroit, managed to keep him out of the night program. Uh, he had reportedly recovered well and been back on the bike this week, riding reasonably well, but unfortunately had another crash today in his last moto of the day before heading to Arlington and has managed to re-aggravate that shoulder injury. And interestingly enough, like an AC joint is generally not a surgical um, injury, like a re- injury requiring surgery, because they tend to recover okay. It's just a pain management and a stability issue. And so that's obviously a lot of physical therapy to be done. And obviously, he'd been back on the bike already. So for him to now have a surgical requirement leads me to think that he has aggravated that AC joint, yes, but potentially has he broken the collarbone now? Has he broken his upper arm or a part of his scapula? with a secondary impact to the ground and that shoulder being a little less stable than it might have been had the AC joint not been irritated before. So don't have details on that, but that press release does say that he'll have to have surgery. So 
However long that will be, he will be out and they say that's going to see him out of Supercross at this time. It's not been a very good go at getting into his first Supercross for Jet Reynolds at this stage. We've spoken about him with his press day issues two years ago with Pro Circuit Kawasaki. He's now having issues, obviously, with Club MX uh, in terms of getting staying healthy uh, to do a Supercross race. So ideally, he'll be all A-OK by the time outdoors rolls around. But again, it's just a rebuild process for Jet. Every time this happens, he has to start from scratch, get the fitness back, get the bike feel back. And then he seems to get himself injured before any racing actually occurs. So hopefully he can get back on track. All right, the rest of these injuries fall out from injuries still, Adam Cincerulo, that Monster Energy Kawasaki rider, has that broken hand, has apparently been back on the bike this week, but is not ready to race Arlington. The expectation is he will be back for Daytona. So one more week for Adam Cincerulo. We checked in with Luke Nice. Uh, he had that lower limb fracture, that fibula fracture, had the surgery. We talked to him um, and he was trying to say that he was hoping to be back within that five-week time frame to be here for Arlington. That has been too tight for him. He is ready. He has ridden, but he's not good to go. He's having some other just flexibility, range of motion issues with the ankle um, and some strength issues as well from being, you know, in the boot and limited motion and limited strengthening. So he needs another week or so. He said he's aiming for Daytona, Daytona or at worst Birmingham, which is the following round. So hopefully he'll be back ASAP. Got a source deep, deep at uh, Star Racing and the Goat Farm there. Um, Enzo Lopes is still going to be out of action this week. Now, our sources indicated that Enzo is a week-by-week decision at this stage as to whether he races or not. So at this point, we don't know when he will make his debut for that Star Racing Yamaha team. But he is he is sort of close by the sounds of it. But obviously, the issue that he popped up, that video where he explained things in his native language of Portuguese, and there's the little... Dis, um, uh, somebody has popped up a translation there, which is very, very helpful. But it does indicate that that procedure that he had done in November has been a bit of a long-standing issue for him in terms of recovering from it, which should have been a very quick recovery, and it hasn't gone well. So he's still having issues, and that's just holding him back from racing, which is not great considering the the uh, preseason history there that he had about having a signed deal with Club MX and then basically getting out of that deal to the, go to the star racing team on a one-year deal. And at this stage, he hasn't done any racing with that star racing Yamaha deal. So he's not looking fantastic at this point in time. He needs to really get that thing sorted out and back on the track and get some good results to try and hopefully stick around on that star racing Yamaha team for another season. Uh, which would be what his aim is to do at this point. All right, so there are out from injury updates. Uh, making returns this week, there's a couple of names here. Now, I'm going to throw out one to begin with who's a 50-50 at this point. We've checked in with Josh Cartwright, that privateer. Uh, he's riding that, uh, I think he's on Bubba Paul. He's Mad Parts Kawasaki team this year, actually. Um, Josh Cartwright. So he is. he had a AC joint injury also in... Glendale in the heat races um, and he has indicated that he's going to try and get to Arlington but so far when I checked in with him yesterday he wasn't certain that it was going to work so he's having some issues obviously still a little bit of pain a little bit of stability but it's only a minor grade one AC joint that he's had as the injury 
it is potential that late in the, late in this week he will have some you know return of function and reduced re, a significant reduction in pain. So he might get to that point where he's ready to go. He might just be you know a couple of days longer than that and just need another week off, which would then see him back for Daytona. So he's close. He might be on the line. He might not be this weekend. We'll have to wait and see. We won't know until the race day itself. The big names that are coming back, we've got the um, new number 23 who we had on the show uh, recently, Grant Harland. He is going to make his return at Arlington. He is on track. We checked in with him this week. He said that that's the plan. So ideally, the number 23 is on track. And the new number 29 from HBI Racing Kawasaki. Uh, We talked to his manager, Matt Bell, the other week. He said that he was doing all that he could be for his rehab and it seems Ty Masterpool is going to be back on a 450 in Supercross for the first time this weekend at Arlington. So that's awesome for both Grant and Ty Masterpool. Now the other one we're not certain of because we haven't been able to get a straight answer from the team or from Colt at this point in time. It's Colt Nichols on that beta, Liquid Molly beta racing um, bike He has been back on the Supercross track doing a lot of riding. He's back doing his normal daily grind with his crew as per all his video updates on his social channels. But whether he's actually back racing or not just yet, we're not certain. And at this stage, uh, on the entry list for Arlington, he's not on it either. But noted, interesting, I just noted when I was double-checking that, um, on the entry list for the 450 is Carson Mumford. So, bit of a bit of a step up there for the Moto Concepts guys, and I'm wondering if Mitchell Oldenburg as well, number 55, he's also there. So it looks like some of the Moto Concept guys are going to be joining the 450 field for these East Coast rounds, and I think that's a bit of a play to get into the Super Motocross series at the end of the season um, by getting some points up in the 450 class. So we'll see how that plays out. They're obviously going to have to make the main events to get some points. But that's adding some riders to the field, which is a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, no no Colt Nichols on the list for the entries at this point when it's, uh, what is it, Thursday evening um, when I'm recording this. So whether that changes or not, we'll have to wait and see. But that's our emergency department updates at this point in time. Check back for our social channels if we can. We'll update that if there's any changes. We'll also have our YouTube video out later, closer to the weekend, um, to try and update that even further. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast feed, and we'll get all that happening and that info for you very, very shortly um, to keep you up to date with what's going on in the world of injuries and rider returns and rider outs, all that sort of stuff. All right, let's take a quick break on the Always Motor podcast. We're going to be back with our interview with uh, Dean Phelps from Fighting Fit Physio. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Scott Meshi, number 411, and you're listening to the Always Moto podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back on the Always Moto podcast. We're about to head into that interview with Dean Phelps from Fighty Fit Physio, but I've got a chance here now to talk to you about suspension because our new sponsor that's come onto the Always Moto podcast here is Technic Motorsports. Now, I've been using Technic Motorsports for nearly 20 years. I actually met Nick, the owner there in Penrith. It's technically Jamison Town, but it's Penrith for me because that's where I grew up. I met Nick back in 2005. I actually had an injury back then and I wasn't happy with my bike's performance at that point in time. And we went in 
which is quite funny given that I'm now doing injury-based podcasts, that we went in there to try and sort out my bike because of the injury that I had and I had some downtime. So we met Nick and Nick's been doing my stuff ever since 2005. So we're almost 20 years into this with, with Nick looking after the suspension components on my motorcycles and now looking after the suspension components on my wife's bike and my my kids bikes and whatnot as well so nick is one of those guys that i just trust with my my stuff i'm very picky on who does my work on my bikes because i usually tend to do a lot of the stuff but suspension is one of those things that i don't have that skill set in and obviously to make those small adjustments and shim changes to get the best out of it i don't understand that but nick does and nick is one of those guys that is just super smart spends the time to understand what's going on by testing things out you know just testing um, against, you know, a control and then building on it and working back and looking at it and going, yep, that one's the best option in this scenario because this, this and this. So Nick really understands all of that stuff with his suspension. But we need to talk about this suspension a lot more and make maybe your suspension service set up and tuning is your business because lots of you out there listening might be the business doing suspension services and you want to work with quality components so you can trust your clients will have zero issues with your work. Technic Motorsports in Sydney has designed, they've been designing their own spring products for two decades. Now with single source of CNC wound springs from the Netherlands under ISO 2001 quality control. That's a pretty hard thing to get a hold of and to be that stringent on their quality is awesome. Now there's over 1,500 Technic Motor Springs covering late model motocross and off-road bikes are in stock with Technic Motorsport. Technic Springs are available fast because of that stock that's held in their factory there in Western Sydney. With same-day shipping available on orders completed by noon on business days and Technic Motorsport can send these things anywhere, ship nationwide or internationally is no problem whatsoever. Technicmotorsport.com is your super easy to navigate website with a spring rate calculator and has a currency converter to make your purchase experience a smooth ride. So if you haven't already guys and girls out there, Check out technicmotorsport.com. They are our new sponsor on board here at Always Moto Podcast. You're going to be hearing more about the services and products available at technicmotorsport.com. We've got plenty of different options. They've got plenty of different parts, components, KYB, show up, genuine parts because they are the distributor. So you'll hear more about them over the coming shows, uh, but make sure you head over to technicmotorsport.com to find out what you can get for your suspension for your bike, and maybe you are the workshop and they can be your supplier of quality parts. All right, let's move over. Let's jump into this interview with Dean Phelps. All right, guys and girls, joining us this week on the Always Moto podcast, a little bit of a different uh, viewpoint than what we've been getting recently on the podcast. Rather than a rider or a team manager, this week we've gone into the rehab uh, department a bit deeper. We've reached out, we've got him on the line. He's from the Gold Coast and Fighting Fit Physio is his business. It's Dean Phelps. How are we doing, Dean? Yeah, very good, David. That's Thanks all. for having me on. No, no worries, man. I I saw some posts from the from the business there, obviously with Aaron Tanted getting a bit of rehab happening in there, and it wasn't that sort of traditional rehab point of view that a lot of people will probably you know associate with um, that sort of point in his recovery post surgery, and it kind of sort of tickled my fancy because that's sort of where I like to go with these things as well in terms of my own physio and how I view treatments going and. 
sort of thought you might have a good viewpoint to sort of pass on to some people about how rehab should go. Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to chat about that. Yeah, nice. So give us a little bit of background, Dean. What, um, where did this start for you? I'm assuming that, you, you know, the physio qualification and stuff, but why did you end up getting into that, into that field? Uh, so being injured myself, um, which is pretty much what every physio does, I think. Um, they get a bit of a taste of what physios like. Um, so, yeah, that spurred my interest as a young 14-year-old. Yep. Um, went through high school, didn't go so great. <laughs> took, the lo- <laughs> took the long road, uh, road into physio. A um, few different twists and turns along the way. Um, but that kind of exposed me to strength and conditioning. So I did an undergraduate in human movement science, majoring in exercise science, um, in which I was lucky enough to do four electives in strength and conditioning. And I had a great mentor during that time. I actually had a couple um, across that that period of my life. And then I hit a crossroads. Do I want to do S&C, exercise physiology, or physio uh, physio was pretty hard to get into at that stage from the uni that i was in but um worked hard did my honors wrote a thesis jumped in um and yeah kind of yeah the the rest is history so um ended up going through a whole whole different um series of jobs early on in my career uh, from community physio through to chronic pain for four and a half years. Okay. And then always on the side, I I dabbled in athletes and private practice and musculoskeletal. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and I had had my first child. Um, My life changed. And then I had to determine what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. So private practice it was. And um, at that point, in my life, I was right into mixed martial arts and the opportunity popped up in a fight gym to open up my clinic. So I did that. Um, I was working with fighters for oh, up till about 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my interests changed um, probably about seven years ago into motocross. I'd done a lot of that as, as a young kid. And so you'd ridden uh, yourself at that point in, in your you know, junior years as such? Yeah, I did um, up until I was about 19 Yep. <coughs> when shit got expensive and <laughs> I was a student. <laughs> Got to pay for it yourself at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, my old man wasn't really one to invest in motorsport. So, yeah, that kind of stopped as soon as I became a broke-ass student. And so, yeah, just focused on my career, but it was always uh, on my bucket list is to be able to walk into a dirt bike shop and buy one straight off off the floor mm-hmm. um so i did that i think i was 32 uh and then yeah jump back on and new bike um and then yeah the interest really sparked and i saw uh, a lot of similarities between what i was doing with fighters and and a hole in motocross riders and how they weren't preparing well rehabbing well um and how they could really squeeze uh, the best out of themselves on the bike rather than just focusing purely on the bike itself. So, yeah, it was um, really interesting transitioning across to those guys um, and, yeah, been working with a number of factory riders now, um, both 
on their rehab when they're injured and then through to strength and conditioning and performance side of things. Yeah, nice. Now, your story sounds not too dissimilar to my own in terms of going the long way around to getting into the the physio side of things. I'm not sure I've actually mentioned this, but I'll give you, like, to the listeners themselves about, like, obviously mentioned that I'm a physio, probably most shows. It's just how it goes. But um, I've never actually probably given that story about behind it. Now, I'll give you some context so we probably end up at a similar point in in life here. But, yeah, I I ended up doing... um, I started out, I left like school, did okay at school, but only got into a general science degree, um, did that for a year, managed to do some sports management courses as electives and managed to then get into exercise and sports science the following year. At the end of the end of the exercise and sports science, I managed to get into the, we call it down here, I'm, I'm assuming you did your university stuff at in Queensland side of things. For us, for myself, I was in Sydney and ended up getting into the graduate entry masters for physio. So it was a slightly different, you know, physio degree at that point. Um, you know, you didn't have to start from scratch. Did you have to begin the physio like just like you hadn't done anything previously? Nothing was accepted for you? Uh, no, <laughs> so I got into masters as well. You did, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little bit easier for transition to do that little step there. They, you know, recognise the prior learnings and shorten it up just a tiny bit, which was which was helpful. Um, but yeah, so that's so that was me. But yeah, same story. You always end up injured as a kid doing sports, so that's sort of you get too familiar with what a physio does, and that seems to be takes the interest and away you go. Um, but you're obviously working in a bit of a different field to myself nowadays. I. I, I ended up having to, from family side of things, chase more of the uh, financial side of things to support everything that was going on and ended up in the world of uh, rehab in terms of um, uh, workers' comp mainly and managing teams and stuff in that. So my hands-on days aren't so so strong anymore, they're, but they're um, yeah, using the brain other ways um, for the physio brain these days than I used to. So, yeah, that's how I – that's where I've got to this point, but um, – but your rehab side of things in your clinic now, I've been checking out some of the obviously your posts on socials and you know obviously keeping an eye on Aaron Tanty and stuff. But your setup there definitely seems more aimed at that you know strength conditioning. Like you obviously that initial background for yourself, it's not a traditional physio clinic what people are probably picturing in their minds where they walk in and there's you know five six rooms with with beds and you know some some theratubes over on a corner and you know <laughs> maybe a little uh you know uh, adjustable weight set on the side but you've got a lot more of that higher end heavier heavier gauge gear in your setup yeah definitely <coughs> excuse me so yeah we've definitely got a bit of an old school grungy snc feel um, which is really cool. Um, so we've got a full commercial gym set up, mm-hmm. um, but more a strength and conditioning um, focus. So we don't have too many machines, uh, lots of barbells, lots of dumbbells, kettlebells, um, yeah, heaps of heaps of equipment from a free weight perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really our focus to get patients off the bed and and into the gym as soon as possible um and our approach to physio is much like we do with any any athlete we want to kind of get them back to peak performance as quick as possible so whether that's just anyone like general population through to our elite athlete we try to take a very similar approach and and push the boundaries um and push the limits of what people think they can do 
Um, so yeah, it's definitely a different approach. Um, there's a bit of a a turn coming through Australia now. I think with a lot more clinics taking a much more active approach uh, within their clinic. Um, because you can see just far better long-term results than having a short-term mindset around how you treat an individual. Yeah, there's like, I think there's been a bit more of a shift towards that exercise-based rehab, you know, program where as much as you might not be able to do, say, you know, a full depth squat from day one, but, you know, over time you progress over, you know, a week or two, you get that range of motion back in doing the movement and the exercise and then you throw load at it and just keep working from there rather than that whole, you know, lay down, stretch, massage, you know, joint range of motion in, in a stationary, you know, reclined supine position. Um, yep. It's definitely... Definitely progressing along, but there obviously is still people that don't have that mindset that fit into that, you know, scenario that you've, you know, created there because it's just not how they're, how they're built or how they're perceived or how they can manage through their own pain, um, you know, controlling it and, and working through it that way. I, I gather you still have people that maybe come in and go, yeah, this isn't for me in terms of how this, this is progressing from, from my rehab. I, I've, I envisioned it being something different. Yeah, definitely. Um, so some people come in and, and get a little bit scared about the approach, especially when they have to walk from the waiting room through a gym to a treatment room. They're like, whoa, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> Did I come in the right building? Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And so, yeah, they it can be a little bit confronting for some. Um, but once they overcome what they think uh, physio is about and then see it in a different light. Uh, it can be really powerful um, and change someone's whole outlook on on the industry, but also outlook on on their health and and what they can achieve. Yeah, it, it's it's just a bit getting their mind in the right area, isn't it? Because once they thinking along the lines that they can, rather than that they shouldn't, things start to progress a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now let's talk about the. Uh, you said you had some nice mentors, you know, through different phases of it. Is there someone that sort of maybe triggered this sort of approach to your, you know, your clinic, your rehab with your clients that you know influenced what you're doing now? Because obviously, there's not not heaps of people for you know from a few years back that are sort of promoting this level of stuff. Has somebody you know helped support you and bring these views along, or that you maybe even just watched from afar and you checked in on that they were doing similar things and you felt, you know, maybe you should try that in your own practice? Yeah, well, I think credit goes to my early mentor, Phil Walsh from Byron Bay Physiotherapy. He mm -hmm. introduced me to a very balanced approach of physio, um, which was fantastic. He was great in the rooms with both education, manual therapy, exercise, and then he also got heavily involved in surfing at the time and a lot of Olympic lifting and strength and conditioning and performance work with those guys. Yeah. So early on, I was exposed to that. I had a, also a great, well, two great S&C mentors um, down home in Rudy Mir and Simon Fathers. Um, they were great early on. And then as I got into physio, um, I was – I've been a physio now for 15 years, so 
that was kind of the early stages of Adam Meekins and mm-hmm. what he was about. Yep. Um, which I know you've got a, an interest in, in his side of things. I do, yeah. Have you ever been to any of his courses? I haven't. I haven't had the opportunity to, but, um, yeah, I, I liked a lot of his early work. Um, I, I kind of find now that some of his stuff's a little bit controversial. And <laughs> He's definitely <laughs> gone moved to a bit more of a click, you know, getting the clicks from the initial post side of things and, and yeah, trying to I'm – not, I'm not sure if he's trying to upset people but just trying to at least present the alternate view. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree on his social presence at the minute but um, – yeah, yeah. His, his theories and stuff in the in the background and that earlier stuff that you you're referring to is definitely where I sort of jumped on board with his approach for a few different things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I liked a lot of the the early rehab, just get people moving stuff. So a lot of his blogs, this is before social media, mm. <laughs> um, were fantastic reads um, and and quite inspiring. Um, to to work in that field and and get people moving early rather than waiting six weeks in a sling or a brace or a boot or whatever it may be yep. is there's always something that you can do to get people moving and it may not be moving that injured limb but it can be moving the other side or the rest of the body um, to keep that person active um, and engaged in in movement and and healing. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think, like, one, obviously, Adam's stuff sort of maybe just reinforced for me that, you know, the ideas that I had about how early things could start were were possible, but also the side of things that when he when he talked in his course that I, that I, that I went to, you know, he always sort of referred to himself as the, I can't remember exactly the term he used, but it was basically that he was the no-touch physio, as in that he didn't put hands on and, you know, do the traditional lay down, he's a massage, he's a stretch, you know, he was always – you'd talk, talk to him and educate him and then what exercise are we doing sort of thing. And that sort of reinforced that some of the views that I had on these things being that we're wasting a lot of time at the beginning by doing not really something that's you know, it's fluffy and nice but it's not really progressing your rehab. Um, and, and that sort of – it sort of just confirmed that because I always had views and, you know, you look at high-level athletes and they do different things and you think, oh, is that – is that really appropriate at that stage? And you're like, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that part of the body. You know, they've got a foot injury, but they, they're there and they're doing everything they can with a boot on cycling as such, you know, in a stationary cycling. You're like, oh, that's a bit, a bit aggressive, but it's not really like the support from the boot. They can go ahead and make the revolutions. They're continuing to maintain their, you know, their cardio, cardio side of things. They're getting some general strengthening activity from the actual, you know, repeated rotation it's all possible. It's just, you know, managing it and making sure you're not putting loads in the wrong areas to, you know, prevent or re- delay the recovery process. And, yeah, Adam just sort of supported those theories. The, also, the other thing that sort of got me with Adam, I walked into this course, I, I did it in Newcastle a couple of years ago and walked in, sat down, and, and you know how you sort of go to these things and everyone's really professional and, you know, this, that, and the other research and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think within the first sentence or two, Adam had dropped about a half a dozen F-bombs. Um, and I was like, this bloke's fucking for me. <laughs> he talks my language. And I was like, I'm, I'm, uh, all of a sudden my ears, you know, my ears were open. I've walked into so many of those training courses and just gone, oh, 
it's another guy that just knows his research, you know, and he's got numbers about this and, oh, this isn't statistically different here and you should do this, but it's not not proven just yet, but we're working on another theory to test this. And, you know, like, Adam was just like, just do exercise. Just, just fucking do squats. Just fucking do lifts. Do this, that, and the other. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yep, I, I'm I'm interested. So that made me really stick stand up and sort of pay attention to what he what he was doing because I I could relate to him as well. Yeah, and I think that's a a big thing too is that relatability and just realness. Um, um, there's no I think bullshit. a lot of yeah, I think there's a lot of that in the medical profession and also in physio too. There's there is so much bullshit, and when you actually clinically reason through a lot of it. Um, you just go, what's the point of this? Like, why are we stuck in a sling for six weeks for, for this shoulder? Mm-hmm. When we can get the thing moving, like we, we don't want to be cowboys and be swinging off things, but we can get it moving and, and appropriately load it to what's occurring uh, with healing mm-hmm. and the stages of healing that that tissue is going through. Um, but I, I find that the period of immobility creates so much fear and worries and concerns um, and altered movement patterns and weakness and atrophy and stiffness and things that just delay people's return to normal movement and motion um, that we can quickly overcome if we start it smart and and load it appropriately um, and just get the body moving again. Oh, 100%. And I think a lot of this, this sort of, you mentioned about the being, you know, immobilized in a sling, you know, and they get a bit fearful of coming out of it and doing the things that you're suggesting. I think it starts back from the specialists because they sort of, they put them in the sling and they say it's six weeks, it's eight weeks, it's 12 weeks, you know, of this level of movement. And then when they come and see you and you go, no, screw that and rip it off and let's do this, they all sort of like, they're like, oh, well, hold on, but my specialist said this and, you know, the whole idea that he's smarter than, than you as the physio, well, no, he'd done his part, let me do my part and help you get through this part because that specialist has done his work, he's, he's reattached, he's, he's plated, he's screwed, he's sewn you up and he's closed you and that's sort of where his job ends let my job yeah. take over and, and really get working through because, yeah, otherwise you will go back and see him again because, you know, for an example of a shoulder, if you don't move it well enough and quickly enough, you're going to have a frozen shoulder and they're going to want to inject you and, uh, you know, capture or release you and all these sort of stupid things that you could well and truly avoid by just listening to me. Yeah, and I was lucky enough when I went through uni to have a shoulder reconstruction. At that time, did you? Yeah, and the surgeon that I had, the post-operative orders were like sling three days max and then seven days use it intermittently and then just get that thing moving. My my repair is strong. I put so many anchors in that thing. It's not going anywhere. Just be smart yeah. and just build it up. And it, it gave me an insight into what you can do um, with a little bit of of thinking and just appropriately loading. And so that's carried across um, my, my whole career, whether it's back pain, neck, shoulder, knee injuries, <laughs> hips, whatever it is, is like how can we actually get this thing moving yep. um, quickly and and not do any 
we're not going to do any more damage. We're just going to appropriately load it. So we're not going to lose all that muscle mass. We're not going to stiffen those joints too much. Um, and yeah, just get the, the person or keep their conditioning uh, rather than waiting for so long and then having to start so low that in fact, they're so deconditioned by 12 weeks that then we've got to spend the next six months reconditioning this person completely because we've had such a passive, go slow, conservative approach at the start. Yeah, no, that's that's probably some of the biggest problem in all of this is that, yeah, that such a delayed start point just makes the end point so much further away from, yes, you get to a point of, you know, a certain level of normal function, but that really top end strength you know the ability to do the sport in the same manner with the same aggression and the same control from that you know the body being able to produce the movement just isn't there for probably another four to (laughs) four weeks to you know 12 weeks because it just takes that much longer to get that back um because they just did absolutely nothing beforehand you know in that early recovery phase but you mentioned something there that i thought was quite different there from your your um your shoulder surgeon his message to you was in a positive light rather than and and that maybe that newer approach to things too where he you know he could maybe could maybe it was because he knew what you're doing in terms of you know uni and stuff like that and the physio courses and your background but maybe his message to you was different but maybe it should have been like that it should be and is like that for everybody because you get some of those older schools approaching surgeons where it's like, no, you're stuck in the sling. Well, then that message, you know, really downplays what you can and can't do. And even just in general, like um, I personally have gone through some major injuries in recent times. I managed to smash myself to pieces um, and come back from it. But even someone like my partner um, was watching me do things, you know, day one, day two, post-op, and she's like, should you be doing that? And I'm like, it's fine, calm down, I know what I'm doing, you know, just we're just keeping yeah. things moving. But just that general idea from everybody still hasn't progressed to the point where they're like, it's acceptable to do things that early on, post-surgeries, yeah. post, post-fractures, you know, whatever, whatever the injury might be. There's plenty of things you can do, as you described. It's just everybody's thought process has to progress to that point and i don't think everybody's there yet but obviously some are you myself that surgeon you mentioned yeah they're they're getting the right message across and like like you said you don't want to be a cowboy but there's plenty of stuff you can do with the right guidance Um, there's plenty of stuff you can do very early on with an injury yeah yeah most definitely i think in in motocross is a big thing um, and if you look like I work with Aaron Tandy, Nato Crawford, Kayla Barham, um, every time that we've had, like, the sport is full of injuries. Mm. Um, it's just part of the game. But it's how you deal with that injury at the time that will either, it's an opportunity um, to one, build something off the bike um, that you didn't have before and actually increase your performance when you are able to get back onto the bike. Um, And if we look at both those three athletes that I've worked with, the reason why I picked them up was early on when they were injured. So they come to me initially with an injury, but following that, it was like, okay, now we've got time where we can't ride the bike. What are we working on? What 
holes are we going to fill in your off-bike preparation so that when you get back on the bike, you're even better than what you were before. Um, and that's one thing, like if I can get a message across to any of the young riders um, and any of the professional riders that may be listening is that injury isn't necessarily a negativity. Injury can be a massive opportunity to, to do some amazing stuff on yourself um, and build your performance off the bike to then come back onto the bike stronger. Um, and so they're often the things that when your arms out of play or your legs or your knee or your ankle or whatever it may be is out of play, what else can you be working on? Mm. The lower limbs out, what about the upper limb? What about the trunk? What about the hip? Right? What can we be actually pushing the limits on so that when that knee comes good, the rest of you is strong as fuck and you jump back on the bike with an extra extra tool in your belt you're stronger you're you're able to control that bike more so i think um like aaron's a a prime example when i picked him up it was a wrist injury but we assessed his whole body and we found a lot of um imbalances in strength from side to side which was resulting in him swapping from side to side and and increasing crashes (laughs) so (laughs) we're like hey why don't we work on that while we can't be riding because your wrist is immobilized? So let's work on that right, and get you stronger. So we spent the time where he couldn't do anything doing something different. And then as we rehab the wrist, we just had this strong base. And then when he came back, he was a different rider. Yeah. Um, Some of those little exercises that you can do to just – control the joint better like you said be balanced from left to right because you might just have a massive dominance on your right hand side because that's the way you've always done something they can be controlled so much better and then just give you a better posture and a better technique mid corner to hold a bike down and not eat shit because all of a sudden it hits a bump and you can't control it because that's your weak side yeah 100 percent. i'll give you a tip but too the uh the, the bit about you saying you almost led into it and said it almost exactly, but I've got a saying on the show, it's hashtag injuries are a part of moto because it just, <laughs> it just happens all the time. That's what oh, you should have that up on the wall. But yeah, you know, that's, um, that's my catchphrase in all this because basically every time we turn something on, somebody's injured in our sport. It's, it's unfortunate, but it just seems to be how it goes. Mind you, it's across all sports. It's not just moto, but obviously we just have a bit more of a higher risk with it, with the, um, the speeds and the, uh, the impacts that we're coming off at. Yeah, yeah, like like you just said then, I, I don't think the amount of injuries that they get is any different to any other sport. It's just usually the trauma is greater because of the speed. Yes. Um, so when you, you're dealing with that side of things, sometimes it can be like, okay, they're going to be off the bike a lot longer um, than like a tennis player might be out for a sprained ankle because of the trauma involved orthopedically usually. Mm. So... Yeah, the injuries are usually quite a lot bigger, but then they also do have the, the niggles and the, the smaller injuries and musculoskeletal problems that need dealing with along the way like any other athlete does. Yeah, I think like uh, I know that the NRL's numbers are still uh, sort of been reducing recently, but like they still have 10 to you know 20 ACLs a season, whereas you know for us in that particular category in AMA Supercross, it's sort of usually around that five or six. But but then we have obviously a, a hell of a lot of broken collarbones, you know, and AC joint 
sprains and dislocated shoulders. So, you know, there's obviously different parts to it all in terms of the, the sport you play, which one you're most at risk to. But, yeah, overall, like you, you said, it's it's um, it's just the, the, the greater trauma that goes with it. Um, the, the impact, like I said, the speed sort of kills us on that side of things. It, it just makes things break a bit, bit, bit more than uh, than others. So, but yeah, any sport you're going to get injured. You walk outside, you can trip over on the bloody sidewalk and you know smash your face. I've seen that one happen before. Had clients come in, tell me a story, you know how they got injured, and it's very minor. And you think, oh damn, that happened doing that. Yep, okay, I'm I'm fine going out and jumping on the moto. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I feel safe, safer on the bike sometimes. Well, you put the helmet on and the gear on. You're usually you're yeah. pretty well protected in, in most cases. Obviously, when it goes wrong, it goes wrong. But, but yeah, you walk out in the street and you flip-flops and <laughs> that's the end of you. Yeah, oh, I agree. Oh, everyone, well, a lot of patients that come through the door go, oh, you work in motocross. Jeez, they have some yeah. injuries. And you're like, I actually... I think I see more people injured at work than I do see riding a dirt bike. Like if you took the amount of people that <laughs> ride bikes and the, the injuries compared to how many people go to work and get injured. <laughs> well, yeah, and like that's sort of that field that I'm in at the moment. But I also get that, you know, they, they're very minor things, but they drag on for ages. And the different mindsets in the recovery then – is is where the moto guys probably are massively winning out because and with some you know support like yourself they're progressing these things way sooner whereas these other other you know industry in, in injuries are just prolonged and just seen in the wrong light and and honestly after having some of the things that have happened to me in the last few years uh with injuries and i had them all at once i, I broke a hip i broke a, a collarbone i i um broke another part in my shoulder tore bicep off i broke a vertebrae ribs lost the spleen that's the quick rundown um and i look at these people and they go oh you know i've got this broken you know Pinky, bad example, but that's the first thing that popped in my yeah. head. And, and they're like, oh, it's, it's so painful. I can't do this and that. And I'm like, I just want to turn around and say, you know, harden the fuck up. <laughs> Get on with it. Oh, it's so true. And the, like you said before, the mindset, and I think with the difference between sometimes the injured worker and normal person is they – often don't want to get better. Whereas when you're dealing with motocross riders, and I learned this with fighters, is that they just love their sports so yes. much that they do not want to spend time away from it. And they want to be active. They want to get back into it. So you can just you just piggyback off that, um, their desire to want to get better quicker and then show them the path. It's just so much fun and it's enjoyable do you find that like those couple of guys when they first maybe came to you and they were probably expecting a certain line of you know physio rehab and then you've gone and gone maybe completely the other direction from what they were thinking and said hey let's go and do this have you found that that's really like sparked them up because like all of a sudden they're they're not being told that they can't they're being told that they can do because i feel like those moto guys me personally you yourself you're probably going to get that little energy kick that oh yeah let's do it i, I want to do that you know and you're allowing me to do that like i feel like that would just trigger their brains in a different direction straight away and get that positive mindset straight from the get-go yeah uh definitely i kind of just brought back a memory that my first uh professional uh, motocross supercross athlete was dan reardon oh yeah and dan dan ruptured his achilles um in supercross when he 
hit a tough block, got caught up and and just cased the, the finish line double yep. and ruptured his Achilles. Well, he had to get back to work and doing stunty stuff. And he's like, man, I, I can't not do this job. And I think he was like a week or, or 10 days post Achilles repair. And he had to ride a scooter <laughs> as a stunty <laughs> yep. and, and crash it at speed. Oh, shit. Yep. Good, good, <laughs> good first job day back on. Yep. Go on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 10 days after, and he's like, man, I can't not do this job. It's been booked in for ages. I think it was like on a movie or something. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, um, righto, I'm down I'm down for the challenge. If you are, there's risk, but I reckon that we can we can do it. So we ended up getting an Alpine Star booty, mm. putting heel wedges in it, bracing this thing up, made sure that he just could not <laughs> move his foot. Yep. And he went and crashed this thing and walked away from it, and he was like, Man, that's the best I've ever felt with a crash. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he would have he needed that sort like that ability to go and do something reasonably quickly and you've supported and, and came up with a you know problem solved the solution to do it. And I don't think there'd be many other, you know, in our field doing that level of support just because they would be like, no, that's that's nuts. And well, probably then the insurance side of things would come in. Oh, if I suggest that you can do this and that, you know, I'm going yeah. against the specialist's orders and whatnot. And yeah, you end up in yeah. a bit of a pickle with, with that side of things, but y- there's ways to do it and be safe and creative and, and actually encourage movement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like looking at, the sport itself and relative to what they're doing. I, I noticed a post that you put up the other day about ACLs mm-hmm. um, and probably going off track a little bit here, but it really I'm quite interested in ACLs in, in motocross um, because people don't have ACLs in motocross. It almost and, seems like more people don't have them than, than do. They just don't advertise it. Yeah, they don't advertise it and then they go and some go and, and have reconstructive surgery for it and and they're still trying to – their protocols are mimicking football and, and cutting and agility-type yeah. activities. It's not relevant. And it's not relevant. Like We've got guys back, back to high-level competition in six months. Well, do you um, know the RJ Hampshire situation from about two, three years ago where he had it done and he was jogging on it, I think at about like we're talking days that he was jogging on his knee and he was racing at 10 weeks. Yeah. Like that was – I was a little bit shocked at that speed, but it just shows what's possible. Yeah, and you can can do it and – it's yeah, anything, anything's possible, um, and I think too that with an ATL you can't stop it happening. If you're going to dab a foot at speed, oh the yeah, things going, things going. Like doesn't matter if you've had surgery, haven't had surgery, um, it gets in the wrong position. Um, it, it's it's going to go. So if you don't have it, well, it's one less thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, a, it is again, this is a positive view on it, isn't it? A glass half full. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time with those guys now, it's like let's just conservatively manage this thing. Um, we we know that ACLs do heal now, and if we promote that, and even if it doesn't, you can have a strong and stable knee and, and get back to sport super duper quick. Um, like Rob Marshall's a, a prime example. He was 
backflipping bikes, doing all kinds of freestyle crazy stuff at, at 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, look, it, and, it's done. It can be done easily. It's all yeah. just around that. It's all just around that. what else you can then use to control the position of the knee. And a lot of it's just that eccentric hamstring control. It just You've got to be taught. Lots of people don't have to know how to do that because they've always relied on the ACL. And once it's gone, there's just other ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The body's an amazing thing. And I don't think we give it enough credit or a lot of people don't give it enough credit for what it can do. And uh, in regards to healing or just even compensating, if something's gone, it'll, it'll compensate, then it'll grow back. And yeah. Yeah, I, I was having that exact conversation with somebody only a couple of days ago about you know, shoulder injury and you know they're saying they couldn't a couple of days ago they couldn't put their arm up but they've got this massive tear in their shoulder and and now they sort of sort of can and I'm like yeah the body's compensating they're like what do you mean I'm like well we just adapt if it doesn't work one way the body will work out a way to do it it's just how quickly you can work that out and if you can get it to do what you needed to do for. In this case, it was a workplace situation, but um, you know, if you can get it sorted out, you can get it back to sport as well. Without it, you just you have to be able to adapt. But the body can do those things really well given the right inputs and the right advice. And again, mindset. Yeah, hundred percent. Adaptation is a beautiful thing. It is. It is. Now, Dean, we'll, we'll probably wrap it up here, but I'm sure lots of people have questions or something about this um, and maybe even want to come and see you. Do, do you get referrals? Like how do you get your work in the door? Is it all from like GPs or do you get walk-ins? How do, you, how do people find you? Um, we get a bit of everything, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, nice. Um, from specialists, doctors, a um, lot through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can find us at Fighting Fit Physio. Um, and yeah, fire any questions. I, I love a good chat. Um, I love a good challenge, and so does my team. So yeah, we're, we're up for anything. Yeah, nice. Well, look, I'm sure at some point we're probably going to get you back to have another chat like this because I'm sure there'll be a different injury that maybe we can both spitball on and um, just see where, where it comes out to. But no, look, this has been a, a lovely little chat for myself to put the physio brain in the full full gear rather than just idling along like it seems to work some days because um, <laughs> of the rehab and the workplace stuff that I get to deal with most times. But um, no, look, really refreshing chat and it's awesome to see somebody doing that, you know, like we said, that high-level rehab beginning early and not just, you know, dancing around the, down the topic and sort of slowly getting there, just getting in and, and getting it done and, and supporting these people, particularly our moto people into the sport. So, no, appreciate your time with us, Dean, um, on the Always Moto podcast brought to you by Leap Moto Australia. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to come back. Thank you. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Bobby Piazza, and you're listening to Always Moto Podcast. All right, girls and girls, we are back. Thanks for sticking around on the Always Moto podcast. We are getting to the end of the show, but we've got those usual things that we try to point into the into the mix here just so you've got some little updates for the viewing and weather conditions for this weekend's round in Arlington. Now, viewing times for the Australians, for the Australians, uh, this, obviously this is East Coast time and this is New South Wales, so you Queenslanders, please adjust. Uh, the race day live coverage for Arlington starts at 5.30am on Sunday morning. The racing coverage starts from 10.30am. So a little bit of an early start if you want to get up for race day live, but the racing is at a reasonable time. Uh, you'll be done by 1.30 or 
two o'clock, give or take. Um, so yeah, pretty good time to be watching the racing on Sunday this week, which is awesome. Weather-wise, if you're actually going to be in Arlington, it's going to be mostly sunny. It's between 13 and 23 degrees. Now, always, I always hear when I'm talking in that temperature range, I'm talking in Celsius. So, sorry, you uh, US listeners, it's not in Fahrenheit. You'll have to do the conversion because we don't usually get that conversion chance when it's done the other way around. So, you guys can work a little bit harder here and listen, figure that out. But 13 to 23 is pretty reasonable. There's 0% chance of rain. There is also a roof at Arlington, so that kind of helps. But at least if you're in the pits... Wandering around in their, um, uh, what do they call it, their um, pit party, then uh, you won't have any too many dramas about weather if you want to wander around and check out the teams, which would be nice. So, yeah, good weather conditions. Track should be good. Uh, obviously, the build has already gone on. Track maps have been out. There is that crazy 90-degree first corner again. So we'll see if there's any prangs, major incidents in that corner. We'll have to see how it plays out. be interesting if there is because then they'll start noticing trends on this side of things, which might adjust some of these future tracks in terms of if they got that sort of start design again so we'll see how that plays out but that's it for this week's show great show thanks for listening don't forget to send in those t-shirt orders uh, to our email info at alwaysmoto.com don't forget to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things injuries in moto search always moto and then follow subscribe subscribe to the podcast feed and if the app allows that you're listening on please leave a rating it helps us be found by more and more listeners and we really appreciate it Don't forget you can check out all of our written articles over on fullnoise.com.au. But that's it for another show. Thanks to Lead Moto Australia, Technic Motorsport, Pivot Pegs, Competitive Edge Performance, Slantboard Guy, Endurance Recovery Boots, and Tech 167 3D Printing for the show support. Thanks to the Fantasy League sponsors, Coastal Motorcycle Centre, and Helltech Australia. Thanks to the contractor. Thanks to you guys and girls out there listening. Thanks to the wife and kids for letting us get this done yet again this week. And remember, you've got to be smooth to be fast because if you're not, I'll probably be seeing you deep in the emergency department, maybe even the clinic having strapping tape thrown wherever it will stick.